Welcome to the Soul Influence Podcast. I'm Lawrence Gordon, known in certain circles as Morris, and I'll be joined by my partner, Jeff Rogers. We are on a mission to create, to provide our audience with love for their soul. Let's be curious, honest, and active together as we discuss and dissect not only the daily influencers, but influences. Soul Influence. Welcome, everyone. I am Lawrence Gordon, and Jeff Rogers joins me, and we are the creators of Soul Influence. Today, uh, we will be discussing the intensity of today's America and the impact of local government with a recent Spelman grad, and might I add, she graduated with honors, um, a political advocate from Anniston, Alabama. Uh, Her motto is a new way forward. Welcome to the podcast, Sierra Smith. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, we're good. We're good. So you got to You got we always start. I mean, we're all in quarantine on lockdown. How's things treating <laughs> you, especially with your transition from Atlanta to Anderson? Yes. How's how's the quarantine treating you? Um, in the beginning, it was kind of rough because my friends and I, we were actually in Miami when the whole everything hit, you know, and so we were rushing on the plane, and I didn't even spend, I spent maybe like 10 minutes in Atlanta, and that was me getting to my car from the airport, and I went straight to Alabama and haven't been back since. So it, it was just like a fog, you know, it's very different. Um, I miss it. I miss Spelman. I miss my family, and I miss church. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. So we got to start here because obviously you're a Spelman grad. Um, I you know, went to an HBCU, uh, you know, the most prestigious one in the AU Center, Morris Brown. <laughs> I'll give you um, that. I'll give you that. Right, right. Just let, let me have that for this moment. Just, just for this I'll moment. I'll let you have it. Um, many, HBC, many HBCU students across the country say, I love my HBCU. Uh, what was your experience like at Spelman College? So I'll just start off by saying Spelman is the number one HBCU, but also the greatest institution in the entire world. Like it's, it's such a unique space. It's such a dynamic place. And the women there are, they're just unheard of. I've never experienced such a magical place in my life. And I say that with confidence because coming from where I'm from, which is a very, you know, it's a small city, about 22,000 um people and everyone knows everyone you know pretty much everyone has the same type of background there's not a lot of uh differences between our upbringings because everyone was pretty much brought up in the same way but when i went to spelman i was definitely introduced to something completely brand new it was a culture shock but it was the best thing that had ever happened to me and so i would just say go to an hbcu Um, Mm -hmm. i'm a big hbcu supporter because i'm a product of an hbcu um, but I would say Spellman definitely set the tone for how I will live the rest of my life for the rest of my life, most of professionally and personally. Wow. That's a remarkable statement. I mean, basically, uh, your, your experience there has set your course for the rest of your life. Is I like that. I like that. How much was there a shift from before you got there? To, to how you came out of there? Do you, do you feel like there was a major shift in, in what were maybe a couple of the learnings that, that kind of made you feel confident that you now know what, what the roadmap is? So most definitely, um, like I said, I, I just call it a culture shock. When I went in there, from at home I'm a leader, you know, whether that be in school or in the community or different things, I, I definitely identify myself as a leader. But when I went to Spelman, I had to learn how to be a follower. Because there were so many, and I use dynamic because that's just what they are, dynamic young women who were doing amazing things, things that I had never even experienced or even knew were possible at our age. And so going into coming from home, being SGA president or being in who's who and and being in honors classes and ambassadors of my schools and, you know, doing different things all the time, coming from that to go into Spelman and literally taking a step back from all that and seeing all these other things happen before me. Like it, it was, it was crazy. Now I will say that 
if you're not if you're not confident in yourself or who you are, if you're if you're not strong minded, you definitely can go into a space like that and feel defeated because you see so many great things happening and you want to be a part of it. But what you have to realize is your walk is your walk. And that's something that is definitely preached at Spellman. Like you can't look at your sister and, and covet what she has because you don't know what it took for her to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And what she has, you know, she has a different gift and, and you celebrate her for that because what she's good at, you may not be good at. And what you're good at, she may not be good at. And that's how we can, you know, feed off of one another. And that was something that I think that we preach a lot at Spellman just because so many great things are going on in all of our lives to not compare ourselves to one another. Um, so definitely it boosted my confidence level in the most genuine way, in the most humble way, though, because it, it showed me that not only am I capable of, of, of being a leader in a different way or being an advocate, because there's so many different forms of advocacy. You don't have to be on the front lines to be an advocate. I think what you guys are doing right now is a form of advocacy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that just seeing all those different forms and, and what it takes to be a follower, because a follower is an essential uh, role in whatever movement we're being a part of or whatever institution we are, you know, a part of. Um, just being a part of all that and seeing those different places from being a follower to a leader, you know, to in the background, to being on the front lines, all those experiences kind of, um, it helped me a lot. It yeah, helped so me a lot. There's a lot of young ladies out there that <clears throat> will listen to this and say that have their eyes set on Spelman. Um, mm-hmm. What is a myth, like a common myth, that you would like to debunk about Spelman College? Yeah, um, probably that there's a lack of diversity. That is crazy to me when I hear people say that because, um, and when people talk about bi- di- uh, diversity, they're only talking about skin color or ethnicity. And diversity is so much more than that. You know, like I said, walking into that space, there were so many amazing women from different backgrounds, different countries, different upbringings. No one had the same story. Like I told you at home, pretty much everyone has the same upbringing. Like nothing's kind of, I mean, because we're all family here. It was such in a small mm-hmm. city, you know, but at Spellman, you know, meeting women who looked like me, but spoke different languages, who have been in rooms with some of the big fortune 500 companies, women who uh, come from these amazing places. I had um, a friend from Bermuda, friends from Africa, friends from South America. Um, and then just people who their intellect, our intellect was so diverse, the way that we spoke about things, the way we felt about things, our belief systems, our ideals, everything was just so different, which it was a very good thing. So I don't want people to think, hey, this is an HBCU. And it's an all women's college that we lack diversity when in fact, we're probably one of the most diverse institutions in the United States. Awesome. I like that diversity definition of, um, because the first thing we do think of is, is where you're from and what you look like. And I think right. just going back to your previous comment of, you know, when you start comparing yourself um that can create judgment in, in the last couple of episodes that's what we've talked a lot about is how do we eliminate judgment that's just kind of one of the i think the keys to a demise in, in per se so I, I love that there's that different different look at diversity and um the intellect must allow you guys to really come together and create great work or great mindset um you know something i read a while ago was that there was a, never a woman-led expedition that got lost. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's a common myth that groups of men or groups of women will just sometimes not be able to come to terms on what the best direction is. But there's a lot of uh, male expeditions that got lost along the way. Exactly. Um, so I thought that was a great quote. <laughs> Sounds like that's a great institution to to empower you guys. Oh, yes, most definitely. And, and I don't want it to sound like peaches and cream the whole time because – we had a lot of disagreements and a lot of you're right and i'm right but it takes it takes those disagreements and understanding that hey one thing that i learned at spelman is perception is reality aside from facts when you when you do have like to me perception is not you can't use that term when we're talking about racism because we do in fact suffer from different levels of racism whether that be in institutions or whether that be in school systems or incarceration systems or different things like that you can't say that just because you believe that white people are superior or whatever race you deem superior is right because you believe that 
you can't say that. But I do believe that perception is reality when it comes to certain things. Like maybe my favorite color is purple. Like, you know, small things like that. But something we do talk about is, is perception being reality. What I feel is real to me and what she feels might be real to her. What you feel might be real to you because the way you perceive it is the reality to you. And so we've learned how to kind of accept those things for what it is, but be able to give those different type of, I'm giving you my perception of it and you're going to give me your perception of it. And how can we find a common ground between the two? Because we both feel it's real. We both feel it's true. Whatever topic we're talking about, aside from those hard topics that are just like, everyone knows right from wrong. Like that, that's just common sense. Now, many of our listeners have probably never heard of the town you're from, Aniston, Alabama. (laughs) I Um, actually have. I actually have. Wow. See? All my my travels? All my travels? True. You have to go straight through it. Yeah. You got to go. Listen, so, so Sierra, tell us um, about your town. What makes this special? Because to leave Atlanta, Georgia, as a young black woman, (laughs) to leave Atlanta, to go back to Anniston, Alabama. Wow, like what was the pool that pulled you back? Tell us about your town, your city, and why you're and why why did you go back? So Anniston is home to me. Like I, I feel like no matter where you go, home is still home. And it feels good when you're going back. I know for me, I had a lot of different opportunities when I when I decided to or when I I knew I was gonna graduate college a year early. And so at that time, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And for a long time, I'm, I'm very faith-based. I'm a very spiritual person. And so I do let God guide me on a lot of different things. And it was something that had been in the back of my head for a long time. Like, you need to go back home. You need to go back home. You need to go back home. But I was so unsure on whether it was the right time or not. I didn't want to go back home too young where I haven't experienced it, you know, so many other things in life. And that was kind of what I was thinking at the time. But what I realized is um, I'll never miss out on anything um, because I feel like what God wants for me will always be for me. What, right. what I need in my life will happen. That's just the way that I, I think. And so um, it, things were just strategic. No, divinely happening in my life that, it was almost like God was like, if you don't go back home, I'm going to hit you upside your head because right. it was, it, things just kept falling into place. It was so weird. I wasn't even supposed to graduate college an entire year early. I didn't even have enough credits when entering. I did dual enrollment credits, but I didn't have a whole year's worth to be able to say, you know, let me graduate an entire year early. So there were just so many things that were happening in my life and it all pointed back at home. Like, the entire time i'm talking about my entire collegiate experience and i didn't even my freshman and sophomore year i barely went back home like very rarely and so um so i definitely say it was more spiritual than anything on the reason why i went home and it it feels it feels so right you know that i'm supposed to be doing this like my purpose i i don't think that i'll be here forever i will say that i know that in this moment in my life, in this season in my life, that this is definitely where God has me planted. Um, And this is my foundation, where I grew up, uh, where I became who I am, you know. Um, So, and it's not so much about, Atlanta has so many different things to do, like you were talking about earlier, so many restaurants to eat at. So, you know, it's never a dull day in Atlanta. And I think I shouldn't have to leave outside of the city of Aniston to enjoy a quality of life a quality life. Like I, I truly feel like that. Now I know that I will one day leave, but I don't believe that people who settle there should have to go anywhere else to sit there and enjoy their life. And so I know that my purpose right now is to bring quality back into this place because it was quality for me at once, you know, when I was younger and I had the time of my life, I had an amazing childhood um, in Aniston for like the first eight years of my life. It, it was amazing, you know? And so I want, younger generations after me to be able to say those same things you know i want and the older generation who kind of set the tone for me like i want them to i don't want them dying off and one of the things that they leave with is the fact that anison is is just on decline still and that's something that i definitely sit with because i think of people like my grandfather who who was a pastor here and a civil rights leader here who spent 
over 30 years of his life dedicating his his time money commit like everything he de dedicated everything to the betterment of the city of Aniston and people like his friends Reverend Reynolds and other pastors who spent so much time who are now have passed away like I, I just don't want all their work to be in vain so I know that it's up to my generation to say hey let's pick up the baton the blueprint has been has been set now it's just up to us I think that's a great a great point because my generation which is uh not your generation or even Morris's generation <laughs> um you know, the allure was you had to get out of the small town, get to the big city in order to have whatever life you want or whatever life you're, you're right. supposed to expect. <clears throat> and I think now, especially with the pandemic, it's kind of stamped. You can live that whatever life you want, wherever you want, and, uh, and have access to what you want. And it'd be great to have some of the small towns that have really made a difference or had people make a difference or keep those towns alive, make a statement in, in, in very important parts of our history to be rekindled and, and people not feel like they got to live in the big, the big city in order to have uh, whatever it is they think they have or need, which is, which is probably more material than, than soulful. So yeah, uh, I'm happy you're back home. I am too. I am too. Thank you. So Sierra, what are, what are some of, cause for many of our listeners, you're running for councilwoman in the third ward. Um, what is the most critical challenges facing Aniston? Um, I know you said that there's been a, a shift over the years where you felt the need to come back, um, get back in the grassroots with you and some of your friends and, and get it back to where it should be especially when you were growing up. So what are some of the challenges that Anison face and what are you going to do to, uh, what do you propose that, you know, should be done to correct it? Right. So I would say the number one issue for me would be community involvement. Um, mm -hmm. We used to have, growing up for me, my community was like the biggest supporter, like, for my family, different things that we do. They supported the education system. They supported, we had, we had big reunions on the park, you know, just different stuff like that. And I think that because of our older generation that are, you know, transitioning into their heavenly home, we have seen a decline. And I think that's what is seen in a lot of different communities. When you have the mothers and the, you know, the fathers of the, the communities, when they start passing on, no one kind of, you know, keeps that, the matriarchs and the patriarchs, when they, mm -hmm. no one kind of keeps that same momentum. And I think that's what we are seeing in our community. But I remember growing up and being able to go to the skating rink or we could go to the bowling alley or, you know, there were different things to do at the park or we would have like swim events and stuff like that. And there's absolutely nothing to do. Like the skating rink is closed down. The bowling alley is closed down. Our movie theater is actually, it, I mean, it's in the cutoff between Anderson and Oxford. Oxford is a city in Alabama too. Um, so it's just a lack of things to just do in our city. So we're losing revenue because no one's, no one's doing, actively doing anything in the city of Anderson. We go out into Oxford to be able to purchase things. They have an entire retail area where we have, we don't have that. We have a few, we have a downtown area with maybe a few little shopping places and different things like that. But my goal is to capitalize on what we do have. Because a lot of times we're not knowledgeable on just how many businesses that we have here in the city of Anderson because we're so focused on what's going on in a different city. And so my goal definitely is to capitalize on what we do have and then create a business, business association where we, we can all get together and maybe create a development plan to, to bring in new businesses that would bring in a lot more revenue than what we're seeing now. So how do we how do we target our young audience to say, hey, come shop here or come dine here? Because you don't see a lot of our young people who who by numbers are. And when I say young people, I'm not referring to like teenagers. I'm referring to maybe like 20, ages 20, 25 to maybe 40. So that that age demographic, they're not, you know, spending time at the classic on noble which is this really fancy restaurant they're going out to you know oxford to go to their little dining areas we don't have a lot of options so my goal is to bring back options and opportunity to this place to liven it up 
Um, also, we have a lot of what I've seen. Um, we have been strategically placed in certain areas to me that have been neglected for so many years. So, for example, in the third ward, which is the ward that I'm running for, um, it's predominantly black, a little over 70% black. Um, and then third ward is home to most of the uh, the projects, um, which we all know those things are strategically done. Um, it's not it's not law enforced segregation, but it's community enforced segregation. But it's a systematic oppression that that people don't really think about. Um, so you have certain areas like the third ward that has been neglected for so long for so long, and majority of that population are living under poverty. But then you go down to the fourth ward across the railroad tracks, and you know they're booming and popping, and and you know the type of economic development that happens there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands worth you know worth of money. The city's willing to give money to those type of wards, and so. My goal is to not only bring awareness to what we need and how we will survive, but how we how we will continue to live as well. Because I think it's one thing to just survive and another thing to just live. And I think we've been surviving for far too long. Um, and then I know I'm talking about so many different things, but something that I'm super super passionate about is our education system. Yeah. I'm a product. I'm a product of the Anderson City School System, and um, I don't think that we have put in enough time and commitment to our students as we do other school systems. And I'll say this, I went to Anderson City Schools from kindergarten through fifth grade. And then I went to Oxford, which is the city right next to us, um, from sixth grade through 10th grade, came back to Anniston 11th and 12th. So I'll tell you the difference between the two. When I was at Oxford, I was pretty much taken care of academically, whatever I needed. If I needed ACT prep courses, if I needed to be put in with someone who, you know, was going in my field, I, I was given that. I was given uh, a MacBook to utilize back at home. Like there were just so many resources and and so many different things that I was just given, like just given. And I deserved that type of education, most definitely. But then when I went to Aniston, you know, they were still using textbooks, textbooks that were messed all the way up. Um, they didn't have the same type of curriculum. What I learned in, in ninth grade, they were learning in 11th grade. And so I saw a problem in the, in the, the different, the, the type of education the students were receiving. But I also realized that at Anniston, over 90% of the students live in impoverished communities. Not only that, but the type of education they are, they're, they're predominantly black, by the way, but the type of education they're receiving was an exact opposite of the school system that was 10 minutes down the road. Mm. And so I think that's when my advocacy started. I was like, hey, y'all don't see a problem with this. So I remember I started working at the, the city hall um, when I was 16 years old. And I worked there in the finance department for two years until I graduated high school. And I started kind of going under the now council, uh, they're council members now, but <laughs> also my opponents now. So I was under them all the time, like asking questions. And I didn't know at the time that I was going to run. But like I said, it was a divine intervention in my life, because mm -hmm. everything that had happened was what needed to happen, what God wanted to happen. And I truly believe that. But I started asking questions like, what's the budget? How much money is being allocated? You know, what what percent of the sales tax is being or property tax is being allocated to, you know, school system? Like I started asking those types of questions. And so, um, that's when I kind of started, I guess you could say, I, I hate using the word politician or, or political right. realm or anything like that, because right. I think there's a difference between a politician and a leader. And I, and I pride myself on being more of a revitalizer and a, a leader than a politician. I don't, I'm doing it because I care. I'm doing it because I want to see change, not because I have any agenda other than, you know, just wanting to see change. But that's what really started seeing the difference in type of education system and the, and the quality of education that I was receiving from the two different, the two different school systems. And um, I still see that to this day. Now they have gotten wow. a lot better as far as providing those resources um, that are definitely there now when I was in high school, which was not long ago, I graduated in 2017. So that was what, three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I am seeing an, um, I am seeing a difference. But what I do want to see is I want to see more support. 
I see our private school systems get a lot of support, like Donahoe and Sacred Heart, our, you know, our private schools in, in Anderson. But I want to see the community believe in our kids a little bit more and then provide them with opportunity and exposure. I always say the only thing that separates us from the privilege is opportunity and exposure, the opportunity to be exposed to new things. When you don't give kids the platform to see something new, you can't get mad at them when they continue the cycle. Can, can I can I vote for you from out of state? Is that possible? Right. right. I love everything. Right. Thank you. Just, I mean, I'm, I just I'm writing down some notes. These are <laughs> you, you need to record yourself whenever you speak because you have some amazing quotes, and you have Thank some you. amazing ways of um, I I think desensitizing the way politics or the way I like your 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 wording revitalizing. Um, I just think you have a you have a unique uh, approach and vocabulary against what you're trying to do, which I think is Thank really you. energizing. So, I mean, if there's any way I can, I mean, I wouldn't want to get you in trouble for illegal balloting, but if there's any way I can, <laughs> I, I can vote for right. you, I can Morris and I could show up and help in any right. way. I mean, I mean, right. we would we we would love to do that. Yeah. That's that's why I, her motto I, I is her motto is a I'm new definitely way closing, guys. Yes, yes. Yeah, you. Yeah. Um, there's so much conversation about voting right mm -hmm. now. It is a right. It's at, at well, a lot of times is not um, provided as an equal right. And how, how can we make it, um, it, it's our, it's our controlling factor. It's a way that we can really create an immense amount of change. And I think even for myself, which, you know, when my wife listens to this, she's going to hate that I, that I even acknowledged it because she is all about voting, all about voting right down to, to the last cell. But even for me, I, I had kind of given up, you know, before we were married and just was like, man, I don't know if my vote actually counts, you know, and doesn't yeah. even get counted. And, just lost confidence. She's reinstilled that and really educated me on how just each vote, you know, can help and the way things are set up, but obviously where things can change. Um, and I'm doing a lot of, a lot of work with my employer on, on getting people to the polls, you know, not only for November, but also, also at the civic level. Um, because if you want to make change, you got to make change at the civic level and then help, um, grow that confidence so that they can move to the next level um, and take a lot of those seats, you know, that we commonly see on on uh, on, on CNN and et cetera. So, what's what's the what's the power of voting in your mind, and how can we help this country um, really execute on that right, which which I think currently is 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 most important. Yeah. So. I think that's such a, a complex it, it and it shouldn't be complex, but it is no. complex. Yeah. Um, it should be such a simple thing. We have so many reasons why we should go out and vote. I would say the number one reason for me is when I don't vote, someone takes that seat who doesn't represent me. Someone gets to make decisions about the water I drink, the, the type of food I eat. Um, what districts that I live in, um, the type of education I receive, they get to make decisions about my life without fully representing the type of person that I am. And so that's why I take, I take voting so seriously. Um, I take voting so seriously because I don't want someone in these spaces that are neglecting the people who need, who need guidance the most, who need quality leadership the most. Um, it's different on every level. I would say because I have different viewpoints on uh, on a national level and on a local level. On local level, you are you are by voting you are able to make an extreme impact because you, it's like a they're making a direct change in your life, whether that be a good change or a bad change. But they have right. the power to do something direct <laughs> to you in your community. It's more direct. Um, and so I, I don't see any reason why people wouldn't vote in local elections, like right. other than the fact that they just may not be educated. They may not know for, for such a long time. I didn't know that you could vote for school board. 
or you could vote for certain, you know, commissioners or different things like that. That just mm-hmm. that that is just a lack of education that I right. think that we should put into these put back into these schools or put back into these, you know, conversations that we're having. Hey, did you know this or did you know that? That's just what we need to do, start educating one another. But I see where people feel discouraged when we are talking on a national level. I think what has messed us up, and I'll be honest, I, this might come back to haunt me decades from now, and I may feel differently, but I'm just going to say it um, because I think that I'm allowed to change. Um, and that's important to know that we all evolve. But I think the biggest problem that we have in this world right now are the political parties. Um, we vote based off of political parties instead of based off the type of leadership or the type of person. Um, Republicans will vote for a Republican, whether he's racist, demeaning, mm-hmm. a color, like they will vote regardless and same with Democrats. Democrats will push for someone who may have been a pedophile or may have been this or maybe like they don't care what it is as long as they're representing that specific political party. And I think that's where we go wrong. And people lose hope because we have put limits and boundaries and, and mask on, um, instead of like really choosing people who have the heart for this. And that's why I say there's a difference between leaders and politicians. You have people who, who are politicians who make a career out of this, but it's a self-serving career. It's, it's not something that is truly making an impact. That's why you see people, incum- incumbents who've been in these seats for 10 plus years and we're still on decline. Um, because it's self-serving. Um, I think once we change the face of politics and the meaning behind it, that's when people will be more excited to vote. See, back then, they had to fight to vote. We don't, well, in a way, we have to fight now because there's a lot of voter suppression that's going on, especially in the state of Georgia and different places like that. So, but our fight is different than what it used to be. Like, literally, they could not vote because of the color of their skin. They had taxes. They were they, first of all, they weren't even identified as as regular human beings. I mean, the three fifth compromise is just proof of that. That was constitutional at the time. I don't, I don't really see how. That's crazy. So, on a national level, we have things that we have to work on because I understand why people feel the way they feel, why they think their vote does not matter. Because we're looking at the popular vote, and then we're looking at um, how. The number 45 got in. We're looking at different things like that. So I see why right. people feel discouraged. But when you don't vote, you're voting for someone to be in that place to misrepresent you. And that's right. just, that's what I stand on 100%. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we've we seen, and, and, and me talking to you before we hopped on, you educated me on Gen Z. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing um, yeah. until I met you, Sierra. So we we have seen the Gen Z uh, generation leading um, the charge with the Black Lives Matter movement on and off social media. Um, what do you think is the cause of such bravery from a group that is so young? I mean, you guys are out on the front line. Um, and I know you just gave the example of the fight that was in the 60s and, and, and how people were willing to give their lives for this cause. And for a lot of people, they're like, hey, the same energy is is happening right now where people are leaving their homes during the worst pandemic ever. And that is a form of them saying, I'm willing to give my life to fight for a cause that needs to be given the attention right now and so right where does that bravery come from where does this where does this come from from your generation <laughs> i'll say my ancestors i definitely say we get a lot of our bravery from our ancestors because there's nothing new under the sun um this this generation is taking heed off of and i and i hate it because i'm kind of referring to y'all's generation when i say this um well, me and Jeff are two different. Me and Jeff are two different generations, by the way. <laughs> okay, so I'm I think just, I'm I Jeff. think yeah, clear it up. I think there up. was, I think there was a a remission <laughs> point, like a remission time, a time of remission, 
um, in between different generations. And I think it was because the older generations had fought so hard for the next couple generations to come so that they could enjoy that quote unquote quality of life. But what we realized is we never should have stopped fighting. And I don't think that we stopped fighting, but we stopped fighting as hard. And so now we're in a space where it's like enough is enough. Um, I think that now let me be honest. I don't agree with all the tactics that are being used. Um, There are some things that I just wouldn't do, but I know the reason why things are being done. I know there was different ways, even back then in the older generations, there were nonviolent ways and there were violent ways. There were, there were militant ways, you know, mm-hmm. there were so many different ways to, to bring, to bring change. Now me personally, I have a different way of bringing change. I told you there's so many different forms of advocacy. My form of advocate, advocacy is to be a leader in my community, but to run for office, to get in those system in those places and to change and create laws so that no one else who is, you know, no one else can get in this place and misrepresent us or to make our lives. Um, and I don't think that we have a bad life. I, I want to make that right. clear. We are definitely, for me, traveling out of the country to coming back home, we are blessed in so many different ways. And that's why I say I think it's so important that we give young people the opportunity to get outside of the United States and to go experience other things. But there are other things that we could implement from other countries and bring back here. Um, that I learned, like when I studied in, in South America, uh, Chile, I saw, and most of their police officers are very militant, but I saw them handle a robbery that I, I, I wasn't a part of it, but I was in the, um, I was in the grocery <laughs> store. I was in a grocery store while this was happening. And I'm talking about the guy was beating on them, like beating the police officers. And me and my Spelman sisters, we were like, we're literally about to witness this man get shot and because we had gotten so like our minds were so americanized united statenized i don't even know that's a word but we have gotten so used to seeing um just little things like that happening like literally our comments were that could never happen like they no dead on sight not even given a chance and that's sad that that's the way we think but literally what happened in that moment was they put him in a closet in the grocery store, let him calm down. And then the, a woman police officer handcuffed herself to him and walked him down, down uh, from up because the grocery store was on the top level, walked him down the little escalator and they went on about their business. Not one time did they touch a gun. And I'm, when I say this, like they were, he was actively like beating them up, like punching the police wow. officers in their face. Like I had never seen... That's why we were so scared. Like, we were like, don't shoot them, don't shoot them. Like, and first of all, they speak in Spanish, so I'm pretty sure they weren't listening to us, anyways. But I I think that this generation has been exposed to so many different things. And then we're, our intellect is so broad, you know, we're so willing to do the research and so willing to investigate things and so willing to stand up when it's needed and when it's necessary. And I think that we just have that same fire that our ancestors had. I don't think it's anything new. It's something to be proud of, though. It's yeah. something definitely to be proud of. Um, and it's something that something that's so you know special to me um, because my grandfather's no longer here. And this is something that he fought for. And so knowing that I'm able to stand in the gap of the generation yet unborn in the generation, my ancestors, my elders, who are now my ancestors, people like Congressman John Lewis, you know? Yeah. He was once our elder, now he's our ancestor. Being able to stand in yeah. the gap between between those who have transitioned and those who haven't even entered this world, you know, to me, that's an honor. And I think that's something that my generation, the, the, the Gen Zs, millennials, and the zillennials that are right in between the Gen Zs and the millennials, I think that is something that we definitely take pride in. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like, this is a generational question because um, I was at Nike for for several decades, which is obviously supports Morris's comment. Um, and then, you know, I'm always studying um, purchasing power and the consumer, you know, 18 to 20, 24, you know, because I still work on, on, on product side. But do you feel that the our current generation 
needs to kind of li liquidate itself to make room for millennials, X, Y, Z um, generations to, to, to make change? Or do you feel like there can be a bridging of the gap and that the next three or four generations are going to work really hard together? Because um, I do kind of feel like this generation is, is kind of a little bit on its own. And, mm -hmm. and and in some cases doesn't truly understand the generations coming coming behind it. You know, you you guys are. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Research, you, you your generations research like crazy, and of right. course, there's a lot of tools that are more readily available than 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 maybe you know was available in our generation. But but we could also be educating ourselves. But to your point, I think maybe that that time has kind of passed, but I would love to see the next two or three generations, obviously having three kids of my own, trying to educate them on how life is going to be really different when, when they get to be, you know, when they have that power to vote or they have that power to drive or they have that power to make change. Um, and uh, I, I just would love to see those, the, the next couple of generations come together. And, and do you feel like they, you guys are all respecting each other and working together or do you, or do you feel like there's some division like, like there is at, at, at kind of our, our generation? I think as far as our tactics, there are division. I, there's different languages, but I think that we have the same message. My, okay. But there are certain things that my generation promotes that I personally wouldn't for yeah. my own beliefs or different things like that. And I think that's normal, but I think holistically, what we want is change, holistically. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't agree with the, because there's so many different ways that people go about how they want change. I don't agree with every single way. Um, just like, I don't think, you know, back in the day, people agreed with every, you know, with every way that happened, but they worked as a, as a unit to, mm -hmm. to kind of move that change. And I think that that's something that my generation kind of needs to work on too, is how can we be even more impactful, um, as a unit to kind of drive this this change and I think you know I really do think that we're doing a great job because it's not just my generation it's y'all's generation too and that's something yeah. that I preach down here it's when when we were having the protests or different things like that it was young people younger than me I'm 21 so it maybe like 16 17 18 19 20 year olds out here protesting and they were asking what can we do that was an, a perfect opportunity for y'all's generation to stand up and say hey this is what we can do because when you don't show us and you don't give us the blueprint and you don't show us how things can be done, like I said, you cannot get mad at us when we do it the way we think it should be done. Because there has been no, there was a lack of leadership there. So, hey, you're not listening to me. Hey, I'm knocking on your door and you're not answering me. So why do you get mad at me when I bust your door down? Right. Those are the type of conversations we need to be having. I sat there and I listened to those kids. And I mean, I'm, kids young adults <laughs> young adults um i listened to them and their call for change was like to me it would make anyone want to just yes i'm right there with you and i was talking to a few pastors from here and i was like hey this is the perfect opportunity for us to create this unity that we have been longing for for so long instead of talking about us instead of saying you know here's my problem. And, and I say this a lot too. We tell young people that they need to come back home and, and, and do something that they need to, they need to create change or they need to do this. But then when we come and do it, it's, Oh, you're too young or, Oh, you don't know what you're doing or because it's not in the package that they want to see it in. It's wrong. We can't ask people or ask young people to be a part of a movement and then dictate how they do it. If, if, the older generations are not providing that same type of guidance and leadership. Don't just tell me how I'm, you know, don't tell me I can't do it. Show me a solution, you know? Right. And I think that's where we lack because it's never too, you're never too young or never too old enough to be a part of change. You're never too young or old enough to be an advocate. You're never too young or old enough to say, Hey, this is right. And this is wrong. And I think that's something that, I mean, my grandmother's she'll be 78 this year and it's still, still like a firecracker so and then I have a 12 year old brother who, who you know who I try to educate so much who's becoming passionate about 
hey, sissy, who are you voting for? And why are you, you know, he asked those type of questions. Like, why are you, but those are the type of, that's how we can kind of get rid of those gaps in between these generations. That Those are the type of conversations we need to have. How can we help one another? How, how can I give you some guidance on this? How can we talk this out? Because I think we've changed so much that those tactics, like I said, those, we have so many different tactics, um, but we haven't found how to, between the generations, we haven't found how to compromise in those areas. And I think that's that's so powerful because to add on to that, we can't get mad. Like one thing that bothers me is this cancellation culture. It's like, oh, yeah. to your point, it's I'm sitting down with a young person that's 17, 18, 19, and even in Jeff's generation where they may be a little bit older and or my generation where they may be in their 30s and, and they could be white, black, Hispanic, whatever. And we sit down and we're trying to bridge the gap. We're trying to find ways to listen and learn and understand. But then when someone actually tells you what their biases are or how they see the world, and it's based on how they grew up, then it's like, oh, you cancel. You nah, nah, I'm not with that. And it's like, right. well, hold on. You <laughs> like, how can we come together if I'm being authentic and, and trying to just share who I am and how I see the world or see this right. situation? And then I'm asking you for help. And then you're going to cancel me out because I don't believe what you believe. Not to say that right. I can't change, right? Because like you said, over time, you might change. Um, based on your relationships, you might change. But right now, this is how I see it. But at least I'm sitting down and talking to you to figure out a better way. Yeah. Not, to me, not to say that I'm going to agree with you, but what do you say to that group of people that because I'm sure you see it all, Sierra, right? Especially running for office. You're talking to 70-year-old, like your grandmother, 60, and you're going to be serving all of these generations. Um, what are you seeing and what do you say to people that are canceling people because they don't agree or believe with what you, what you how you see the world, especially yeah. right now? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had comments made, made towards me um, – actually surprisingly um a current leader in our community said um she she's full of wisdom and they're referring to me she she she's gonna go far in life but i think she's too liberal um and i think when you put like i said when you put boundaries and limits on people you don't know what they're capable of because you're already setting you're setting a boundary on someone by saying, oh, well, she, you know, she might identify as a Democrat. So she's just not, she's not going to be what we want because they don't have the same type of belief systems or different things like that. And I just say to that, um, I don't lead by political party, nor do I lead by conservative conservatism or, or liberalism. I don't lead by that. I lead by what, what is wrong and what is right. And sometimes it's not that easy, you know, especially when it comes into politics, some things are just so complex and you can't to say that, no, I won't, I won't say too much of that. I, what I think it is, is regardless of what people say, I do not have to prove myself to anybody. And that's something that I've learned. And that's what I tell young people. You are not responsible for how anyone else views you because their perception is reality. How they perceive you is real. As long as you know that you are being the best person that you can be each and every day just knowing that you know that you're doing the right and that doesn't go that doesn't just go for young people that goes for people in general as long as you know that you have washed your hands hands clean from a situation or that you are leading effectively or that you're trying to do the right things or that you you're, you're just a trying person people are going to have opinions for the rest of your life especially when being in a position that I'm in right now there's going to be stories made up there's going to be lies told there's going to be rumors there's going to be she's this or she's i'm a young i'm a young woman so they're going to capitalize on so many different things that it's just so easy to attack you know and that's okay because what i've learned is it's not it's not about what they say it's about how you react to it it's about what you answer to that's and the powerful. only thing that's powerful, yeah and the, the only thing that i'm responsible for is how i conduct myself and so i say okay 
I'm I'm wise enough to 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 educate myself. I am humble enough to ask for help when I need help. And I'm I am strong enough to to respond to whatever I'm feeling in a in a productive way. And to be open to receive constructive criticism, even if in that moment I don't feel like that's what I need to hear. So I, I just say it's okay. We have we have to learn to let people feel how they feel. Educate mm-hmm. them. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to cut somebody out. You don't have to get all wild and crazy on somebody because what I've learned is I can keep my tone. They're going to hear me regardless. They may not act like they're hearing me because people have prideful ways, but they're going to hear me regardless. And no matter how they judge me, just, I just know for me, myself, I've been heard. And that's just the only thing that I can say to that. That's that's well said. Well said. Thank you. Well, well said. You are you are ready. You are ready for this race. <laughs> Trying. And and I think you bring up a good, um, a great point. That, I mean, we do it in our our everyday lives, but it does seem in the political world we, we we constantly want to place people in buckets. You know, yeah. to your to your point and. And it's hard because, you know, each one of those buckets may not be filled with everything that I want to stand for, or believe in, or or create upon. Um, but we but we do that, I think. And I, I think what it does is it makes the person trying to trying to organize things or label things feel more comfortable instead of being more vulnerable and how they feel and what they truly want to want to speak for. And it's, and it's not opposition. It's just, I mean, we're a lot different than we've ever been. And in order to get where we want to be, there's going to have to be big change and dramatic shifts. And we need to, again, going back to that vocabulary of how we can, maybe there's a new, maybe there's a new set of vocabulary the generations come up with but um we're not going to get there to your point with with operating the same way we've been now sierra i know your i know your motto is a new way forward but as we kind of wrap up um share with us i mean you're so full of wisdom and i mean to have a grandmother Mm -hmm. around i mean i'm sure you're gleaning from her um every day um, yeah. what is, what is a quote that you can share with us that has helped you along your way? Yeah. So my grandfather used to, and, and my grandfather died when, um, I was 10 months old. So I never got to experience him. I've just heard so many amazing stories about him, but there was a, um, on a lot of his documents, a lot of the speeches that he wrote, um, my grandma has so many, like, I call them artifacts, even though they're not that old, but. Um, I was looking at a lot of his papers and a lot of his speeches. And one thing that is consistent with him, he always says, uh, reach, reach the stars. And so I decided to add to that. I gave a speech to the MLK, um, during MLK day here in Anniston. Um, it was the day that I announced my candidacy and I added to that and I said, reach the stars. But when you do, don't stop there. We tell, you know, we tell kids the sky is the limit or we tell them reach for the stars. But, um, one thing we don't tell them is, hey, what do you do when you get there? And I think that as long as you're, as long as you are still living, and as long as you are still breathing, and as long as you are capable and, and willing enough, there is always an opportunity to improve. Um, and so when you do reach those stars, and as soon as I get to the place of where I think that I want to be, I want to know that I'm still capable of changing. I'm still capable of, of being a part of improvement that I'm still capable of doing more things that, you know, that the only thing that's going to keep me from moving forward is the day that I leave this earthly realm. And so that's something that I definitely, I'm definitely hold true, that I definitely hold true to myself and that I want my siblings and my future children to kind of hold on to. Like there's just always room. And I tell, I tell my mom that all the time too. I know she gets tired of me saying that. But if you get to a point in your life where you're just too content, something's wrong. Amen to that. 
Well, man, we appreciate you so much um, for taking some time out, carving out some time to enlighten us, uh, to inspire us. Um, like Jeff said, anything we can do to help support you along this race, we're, we're right there locking arms Thank with you. Thank you. Um, so Jeff, can you, can you give us some final thoughts and, uh, and take us out? I, I, I stole a lot. I'm just going to be honest. I, I stole a lot of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wrote down a lot of, a lot of your philosophical, um, statements and, and just, and real statements of who you are and what you're trying to do. Uh, like I said, I, I wish uh, I could vote for you. Uh, first you. off, <laughs> I, I think Morris feels the same way. And if there is anything, you know, great or small that we, that we could do, um, let us know, you know, if there's anything that, that you're a part of that's, uh, that we can chime in on to help support you. Um, help support that community that you're trying to, to, to revitalize. I still love that, that term. Thank you. Um, yeah, just a couple things that a spoken leader, um, this goes back to your Spelman days. Uh, and then I think aligning on when to be that spoken leader, but also, uh, when to, to be a follower per se is what you mm-hmm. said. Um, and it's something that I think is unique is a, a, a lot of people don't know when uh, to drive and then when right. to ride, right? When to be a passenger and when to be, you know, a driver. And uh, right. someone that I think can recognize both uh, such yourself is, is going to be able to build those relationships and build the, the confidence um, and the long-term stability in, in the people that um, are, are part of your cause. So I, I think that's one thing I loved learning about you today. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about comparing ourselves can be uh, detrimental, can create judgment. So where, where can we um, complement each other as opposed to, to strictly comparing um, each other? Um, you know, what came to mind as you were talking about community involvement was uh, the old phrase, it takes a village mm-hmm. right. you know, to yeah. raise, raise somebody or, and, and in this case, it, it takes a village to, to raise and support a cause. Um, mm-hmm. It shouldn't just be looked at as uh, within the family or within the community. Um, uh, sorry, I got, I got lots, I got lots of stuff I love, but, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, you know, I, I, Another, just, just to add on to a statement you said about um, systematic oppression, you know, through, through the lens of the projects, you know, and, the, and they're intentionally created. I also would add that they're intentionally meant to stay that way. There's, there's a lot oh, yes. of intention yes. to, to keep them that way as well, which um, is really hard to say. Um, it's really hard for me to even say and acknowledge that that, that a, that a human being or a set of or a group of people could could have that mindset when they wake up in the morning to to right. to want to keep people in place per se. So I think that just to be reminded that not only has that been happening, but there is people who want it to stay that way um, for for whatever reason. I would say out of fear. Um, and then uh, just your your quote. You know, reach the stars. That was so. Uh, but when you, but when you do, don't stop there. And I, I think you gave a great analogy of the sky's the limit. And if, is, if we've all said it, and and probably said it without thinking, wow, that's again putting somebody in a position um, of of limitation. Yep. Right. So um, I love the the part two. Um, to your grandfather's quote, and uh, you know, I would I would encourage you to use that where you can. It's, it's a powerful, powerful quotation. And Sierra, where can people connect with you? Um, learn more about your story, what you're doing in Anniston. Um, where can they connect with you at? Yes. Yeah, so my Facebook um, is Sierra C I A R A C dot Smith. 
Um, and then uh, my Instagram is Sierra Cheyenne at C-I-A-R-A-C-H-E-Y-A-N-N. Um, and then I also have a political page that you can kind of connect with uh, on my on my regular Facebook page. Um, but most of my my platform is on my personal page. So I'm definitely open to um, conversing with people through that platform as well. All right, cool. And, and all of those things will be in the show notes. Um, thank you again, Sierra. And uh, it was a you. pleasure. Yes, yes thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, good luck. Thank and, you so uh, much. Keep, and thank you guys support. for thank you guys for providing this platform. I think you guys are going to go super far. I love it. I love this idea. I love what you guys are doing. Keep doing it because maybe I'll be on it again and you guys will be these superstars and I'll have the yeah. honor and privilege of being a part of again, part part of it again. Each and every one of you is important. We thank you for your time today and welcome your thoughts at any time. Are you better? Is your soul warmer than when you arrived? Let us know how you perceive the show and provide us with that five-star stamp. And next time, bring your friends. The soul makes you go.